Silence with him only allowed for conversation, laughter, or tears, our bodies always separated by a wall of plexiglass. Now, here he was, so close, but still in a prison, still beyond my reach. I don't know which was worse for Dad, or for me, jail or death. Tears soon came freely as a flood of anguish, sadness, and regret washed over me. I had not told him nearly enough times just how much I loved and needed him and just how important he was to me. As I rocked back and forth, sobbing, my mother leaned over and put her arm around my shoulder. It'll be all right, baby, she said. I nodded, held her hand, but I knew in my heart that nothing would be all right ever again. The backbone of our family was gone, and the prospect of my father's absence both saddened and terrified us. The fear in Mom's eyes was unmistakable, just as it had been the night before when I'd found her pacing the floor of her master bedroom at 3 a.m. I can't imagine my life without him, she had whispered. Her anxiety was understandable and shared by each of us. My dad's strong sense of tradition and the importance he placed on family had produced an extraordinarily tight clan. We had gathered at least once a week for Sunday dinners, a tradition in our family stretching back for more than three decades. It was Dad's favorite day of the week, a few hours when he wasn't troubled by business or legal matters, when his children and grandchildren surrounded him, eating and smiling for hours on end. I knew we would never again come together as a complete family, that the tradition had come to an end. It just exacerbated the grief I felt. Don't get too caught up in your own lives to remember the importance of being together, Dad said shortly before passing in the last letter I'd received from him. I gazed at the casket, memories of decades of gaudy family tradition, filling my head and my heart. We'll try, Dad. Once family and close friends were seated, an additional crowd of mourners was granted access and permitted to stand in the back of the chapel. The room was filled to capacity. Hundreds of mourners were left outside. The chapel fell silent as the priest bowed his head and began to speak. Our Father, who art in heaven. His voice resonated in the chapel, and yet his words barely registered. I was so lost in thought. Outside, a thunderstorm had moved in. With the shift in weather came flashes of lightning, crackling thunder, and then rain, pounding against the chapel windows. Although the room was full of people, I suddenly felt alone. I wanted to scream. I wanted the ceremony to stop. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. As the priest continued, mourners from the back of the room were invited to approach my father one last time. As they passed by, each person gently placed a single red long-stem rose on the top of the casket. It was a solemn, unifying ritual, bonding mourners from a broad spectrum of social classes. Many of these men and women had attended my father's wake and had a story to tell. The elderly homeless lady from Ozone Park, Queens, who between sobs had told me of Dad's generosity, how he had regularly given her money for over 20 years. The sanitation worker who claimed Dad had helped put his only son through college. The housewife from Rockway Boulevard, who credited Dad with saving her daughter's life After a grim diagnosis of leukemia, he had arranged for a pioneering oncologist from Boston to oversee the young girl's care. 
the Ivy League kid, a 19-year-old freshman, with his parents in tow, who credited Dad with saving his life after an ill-advised and dangerous boyhood prank had nearly sent him away to prison. The young man's parents, a middle-aged couple from Italy, who had emigrated a decade earlier in search of a better life for their only son, choked back tears as they told the story of how my father had arranged for a top-flight defense attorney to represent their son, although not until Dad had scared the kid straight. Even a well-known local newscaster was indebted to Dad because he had saved her father's life after the poor guy had fallen in too deep with a couple of made men from Brooklyn. The mobsters had been enticed by the man's investment strategy, which turned out to be little more than a badly planned get-rich-quick scheme. When the venture inevitably failed, the Brooklyn investors demanded much more than their money back.